Welcome to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast, part of the Thrive Podcast family. This is a place to focus on helping pastors and leaders discover or rediscover their purpose, passion, and vision. Ray Johnston is the founding pastor of the Bayside Family of Churches. He's the architect of all of the Global Thrive Conferences. He is also an award-winning author and a widely sought-after speaker, mentor, and leadership authority. Each episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast is a conversation between Ray and his hand-picked, world-renowned guests as they share timeless principles, timely insight, and new ideas on how to grow as a leader wherever you're planning. Today with Ray, best-selling author and expert on leadership, change, and personal growth, Carrie Newhoff. So let's get right into this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Right now, we have somebody that I think is doing the best job of anybody I know of helping leaders think well. Kerry uh, Newhoff is nobody like him. He's a former lawyer, founding pastor of Connexus Church. He's got a leadership podcast that is literally listened to by millions of people. And as a friend of mine said to me, I think he's the most influential thought leader for pastors these days. And everybody's asking the question, what is Kerry thinking? And fortunately, we have him right here, and we get to ask him the same question. First of all, hey, Kerry, welcome to the Thrive Summit, man. We're glad you're here. Ray, it's such a joy. We've tried to make this happen for so long, and who knew a virus would make it so easy? <laughs> no kidding. Looking- we had to get stuck in place in order to connect. So, hey, glad you're here. First of all, I, I want to ask you this question. 2020 is over. Long-range planning feels like it's five minutes, so you uh-huh. rewrote disruptive trends. Um, when you, and you came up with seven of them. What are the two or three things that you feel like, man, these are the ones that, I, that people need to major and pay attention to? Yeah, well, I think crisis is an accelerator, right? That's what I've been thinking about for months now. It's like all of a sudden things that were going to happen three, five, ten years down the road, just all of a sudden, boom, it's like here they are overnight. So one of them is church consolidation. So uh, you and I haven't talked about this directly, but I imagine if you look at your church and your online numbers, they're probably up significantly, even over what they were prior to COVID. And uh, for a lot of churches that have either jumped online or been online, what's happening now is there's a consolidation of the market. And there are early poll results that show that this is probably the case. I work pretty closely these days with uh, David Kinnaman and the team at Barna. And so, for example, uh, in a recent poll of churchgoers who were watching online during COVID, 23% said they're watching their church and or another church. So Mm -hmm. think about pre-COVID, right? If you're a churchgoer, it's like, I got to go to my church. And you know the internet's there, but you kind of have your church thing. Well, all of a sudden, when your church is only online, you're like, well, I can go to my church, or I can also go see Bayside, or I can also go see Village Church, or I could go watch Holy Trinity Brompton in the UK, or Transformation Church in Tulsa. And so now 23% are saying they're either doing their church and another church, or they're just doing another church. So back to the bookshops. Uh, In the 1990s, all these independent bookstores uh, got threatened, and a lot of them went bankrupt because of borders, because of... um, uh, chapter well chapters in Canada, but Barnes and Noble and so on came along, and it's not like people stopped reading books. It's just like it went from 
a consolidation of all these little tiny bookstores to a few big box retailers, then further consolidation when Amazon comes along and starts cannibalizing the market by picking off like Barnes and Noble, picking off Target and Walmart, who also got into books or Costco. And so that's just consolidation. It's not like the total number of books uh, consumed dropped. It's just fewer people are selling them. So that's what economists call a market consolidation. I think the same thing is happening in church world. So to put it in analog terms, you know, the 90s and the 2000s saw mega churches really take over and they're reaching new people, but they're also taking people who used to go to little independent churches that aren't yep. so strong anymore, uh, would all of a sudden go to a big box church, so to speak. And I think that's now happening online. So that's trend one. Second trend I would say is this return to church might not be the rush that everybody hoped for. Um, along with consolidation, right? If all of a sudden I'm part of your church, but I don't live near you, uh, I'm probably not going to rush back to a physical church right away because crisis is an accelerator. I also think what's probably happening is we are pivoting into a digital default church in the same way that CEOs are moving toward remote teams pretty quickly, people are now defaulting to digital. So even someone who would have attended your church, let's say twice a month, might be going, you know what, like that's five hours to go in person by the time we get the kids all packed up and get in the car and we go and then we attend, we serve, then we come back. We're just going to make it 45 minutes online now. And so uh, right now, COVID is getting in the way because older people can't come because there's no vaccine and there's no kids ministry or your church isn't reopened. But all things being equal, I think we're going to discover our future in-person attendance was lower than we thought. And that's an acceleration of trends that have been Mm -hmm. happening for decades, right? Uh, Declining church attendance plus even committed Christians attending less often. So those are a couple that really pop out at me. Yep. So... when you're thinking about people going, okay, we were on site, we went online, what would you say to people about doing both well in the future? Because the days of we're just going back on site and it's going to be like it was, um, in your view, that's not realistic and it certainly isn't highest impact. Well, I think it's a trap. I think it's a trap because we're all programmed, including the large churches that had online presences long before COVID. We're all programmed to do facility-based ministry. That's what we do. And if you look at even some mega churches with multi-million dollar budgets, $10 million budgets plus, uh, a lot of them barely had one person running online. It was sort of the afterthought, right? It's like, okay, you're in charge of weekend services. And by the way, you also do the website and make sure that stuff makes it onto YouTube somehow because we don't really understand how that works. So I would say even in large, large, large mega churches, giga churches, as Warren Bird would say, you know, maybe 2% of the budget is to going into going online. Everything else is facility-based. And what will happen now is doing facility-based ministry, at least for the future, is going to be more complicated. You got to sanitize, you got to clean, you got to social distance, you got to, you know, touchless surfaces, all that stuff. So what will happen particularly with the low return to church numbers we're seeing is you'll put 99% of your time, effort, and energy into something that's producing 5% of your actual total audience. Like, yep. Ray, if I'm, if I'm your financial advisor, which I would not recommend, and I'm like, Ray, I want you to put 95% of all of your assets into this really low performing stock. You're going to be like, you're an idiot. You're fired. And, and yet that's, 
pretty much what's happening in church world right now. And even, you know, a year or two ago, I was telling church leaders, you should be putting like 30% of your budget into online, 50% of your budget online. That's a really hard um, switch to flip right now. But what I would be saying is, could you put 5% of your budget into online? Could you put 10% of your budget into online, maybe 20 or 30 if you can do it? Because you probably have a bigger reach online. The future is definitely online. And I'm not saying those people on never don't make a binary. They will show up in your building from time to time. They will show up in a building sometime. In person is not going away. But if you could start allocating more of your resources into online, you will avoid no man's land, which is doing online so-so and doing in-person poorly because in-person isn't gonna work as well. Uh, so you want to be reallocating staff time. And probably I had this conversation just this week with a number of different leaders, Ray, but some really fresh thinking. Um, a lot of your staff probably aren't trained for that. So you're probably gonna have to hire around that. Like, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, most mainline churches, trained pastors to be chaplains, evangelical churches, growing churches came along and said, we need entrepreneurial leaders. Some of those entrepreneurial relational people are not going to make it in the online world. And so you either got to be reallocating, retraining, or hiring new staff who can think like digital marketers and digital relationship builders. Yeah. That's a whole new skill set. Yeah, no, no kidding. So, Carrie, um, years ago, I pastored a church that went from 100 to 100. Okay. I mean, it just, it was, a, and that was it. We started Bayside and it blew sky high. I'm not sure I'm doing anything different. The, um, what would you say to the pastor of a large church right now about how to be effective in the future? And then what would you say to a lot of folks listening to this? I mean, there'll be a million people watch this before the dust settles on this thing. What would you say to those people from smaller churches? So speak to a large church, speak to a small church. So for the large church, I would say really pay attention to staffing and budgeting. I mean, you've got the ability that you can probably sink hundreds of thousands or millions into online. Uh, one guy I'm really watching closely right now is Mike Todd at Tulsa. Uh, he's, he has Transformation Church. And you look at, just look at how Mike is leveraging social media. Um, it's pretty exceptional to do. I think that can be, and we we're, I'm not Mike Todd. Like I haven't got his personality. I haven't got his charisma. I haven't, I haven't got all that, yeah, but that's a guy who went from leading yep. 200 to what's that? Yep. Yeah. Who does this guys amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a bit of a unicorn that way, a great unicorn that way. Um, but Mike's Mike, I think is a key to the future and I can't be Mike, but I mean, this is the basement of my house. And I do that podcast you mentioned, and we're going to hit 12 million downloads this month. It's yep. like, how does that happen in your basement? I don't know. But that's the internet. It's flat. So if you're leading a large church, I would say be at least pouring 10 to 20% of your budget into online and hire a different skill set. Find people who are really good at web development. Hire a YouTuber to help you with your messages. I heard that from JP Pocluda, who had a really good idea around that. Hire, hire people to think, okay, how does the next gen actually work online? In the same way that you hired operations people to figure out how to expand your locations, how to do real estate well, think about that. And then for the small church person, I would just say, yeah, you, you're not going to have hundreds of thousands or millions to... Uh, to invest in that. Uh, but follow a leader like Annie F. Downs. So Annie, Annie is a brilliant thinker, thought leader, writer from Nashville. 
And um, she has tremendous influence on a shoestring yeah. budget. So when she got put into quarantine and she was like literally exposed <laughs> to COVID and had to like go into total lockdown, she's an extrovert. Uh, I got a YouTube interview. You can just search my name and Annie F. Downs. She's reaching millions of people a month on her podcast. She's in a spare bedroom in her home with a blanket from Target and a $90 microphone recording into her laptop uh, with a webcam. Like it's as low budget as you can get. She's reaching millions of people because the mistake we make is we think I I can have no impact online unless I have a million dollar budget. That's not true. Be you. Be somebody's friend, uh, bring yourself to the screen, be personal, be relational. And uh, don't worry about the big budget because for a hundred dollar microphone and the camera you already own, which is probably in your pocket or on your desk, uh, you can have an impact online if your content connects. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, you're right on target on that one. When we shut down, we went online and we came out with the most overproduced, pristine stuff. And then after a few weeks, we went, let's just leave all the mistakes in. And people loved it. They just went, okay, real is much better than overproduced and stale these days. Um, now, I want to talk about future leaders. There are le- leaders that are really good at leading something that's already done because they've been doing that. What are two or three traits that you would say future leaders need to have to be highest effective? Or if I'm a leader, what are some things I should develop? Agility. Number one is agility. Uh, The future is very uncertain and there's no no new normal. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? And we're in just this period of like unprecedented fast change. We were already in it, right? So you think about it, we talk about this as being a disruption, but a decade ago, the taxi industry got threatened by a couple of guys who sat around and said, what if people shared their private vehicles? And uh, we just created an app for that. And, you know, the whole taxi industry gets disrupted or a couple of other people who are like, why don't we give people a new way to share photos on their phones with this new digital media and Instagram is born and Kodak goes bankrupt, right? So, I mean, we were in an era of disruption to begin with. And I think the key to that is, is agility. You don't want to be the CD salesperson in the era of Spotify. <laughs> and you don't want to be the mall landlord in the era of Amazon. And so that means we're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to pivot quickly. I would move from annual planning to quarterly planning to perhaps even 30-day planning. Yep where you're like, what are we gonna do next? What are we gonna do now? Um, So that's one superpower. The other thing I would say is, you probably have a lot of experience and wisdom on your team. Tilt young, tilt young, tilt hungry. Uh, Find that 17, 18, 20 year old, 23 year old, 25 year old, even if you bring one or two of them as volunteers or as paid staff onto your team. And say, speak for your generation, lead for your generation. I think one of the ways that I've been able to stay young, I just got off a team call before, uh, you know, you and I jumped on this one. Uh, You know, the guy who's leading my marketing is 20, they're 23 and 22. 
Yep. So they're really, really young right now. And it's like, I don't really have this. I'm a content guy. That's all I am. I'm just a content guy. I can do interviews. I can do relationship. But you get a really young team that's two or three decades younger than you working around you, as you know, that's where the magic starts to happen. And you just need to be the facilitator for that. Because I don't, I don't have the answers. I don't even understand half the stuff my team is talking about anymore. It's like, that's okay. As long as they understand it, I'm fine. I'll focus on the content. <laughs> okay. Which is a leadership question about working with people. Okay. We've got older leaders watching this and younger leaders joining us. Okay. What would you say to each one about working with the other? Okay. If, okay. I'm an old guy. What can I do to be more effective working with people that are young and then vice versa? So let's start with you and me. And that would be equip and empower younger leaders. Don't invite them at the table. Let them lead the table. Let them make the decisions. Give them teams. Build, like, give them authority, I should say. Uh, build a great culture in which people thrive. You can be the culture creator. You can be the funder, as Andy Stanley said years ago. At our age, either fight it or you fund it. Right. So you can fight it and you can be like, well, I don't, my, people won't think that way. And, you know, or, or just, just fuel it, like fuel it, fund it, uh, and, and be the enabler, be the facilitator, use your wisdom and your resources to empower that next generation to make the change that needs to happen. Yeah. And then for younger leaders, uh, yeah, I would, I would say, <laughs> Know what you know and know what you don't know. There's a lot you don't know, but there's some things that you're really good at. And then lean into the older generation because you and I do bring years of accumulated learning to the table. Yep. yep. And we may not have it absolutely, like <clears throat> I still don't know how to be on TikTok. First of all, I can't dance. Secondly, I'm not even going to worry about that. Like I see Craig Rochelle on there. Craig, you can speak for me on that or other leaders. Like I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, eventually, I don't know how to do leadership on TikTok. Somebody else will have to figure that out. I know how to do leadership on Instagram. I know how to do it on podcasting. But what I really bring, and, and this is really important for us to, the older you get, the narrower your lane, right? Like I, when I was in my 20s, I thought I was great at everything. And in some ways, you're hired to be a generalist. It's like, yep. we need someone to sweep the floor. It's like, okay, great. Now we need someone to preach Sunday. Okay, great. Now we need someone to take this meeting. Okay, great. At my point, I realized really I'm a communicator and a thinker. That's all I do really well. Beyond that, it just falls off a cliff. So I would say try to, try to realize what your older leader, your senior leader that you're working with is great at and really value that. <clears throat> By the way, those of you who are listening, this is brilliant. If you will figure out how to take time, and I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. The number one thing every company should ask is, what can we be the best in the world at? Okay, Apple figured that out. Number one thing every human being can ask is, what can I be the best in the world at? Um, if somebody's listening to this going, man, I got to figure that out, Kerry. Give me a step to take to start thinking this through. What would you say? Yeah, well, uh, Todd Wilson from Exponential really helped me think this through because my life is like a really crooked path. And when you're in your 20s, it seems like a really crooked, crooked path. So when I was 16, I started radio and then I went to law school, uh, worked in law for a year in downtown Toronto. Then I went into seminary, led a church for two decades through all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden this podcast author, speaker, writer thing emerged. And that's been my last five years and perhaps my next 20. And I'm like, that is the worst career path ever, right? <laughs> How do, but look, there are clues. What is the one thing that radio, law, ministry, podcasting, and writing, speaking have in common? 
They're all communication. In radio at 16, I stood behind a microphone like this and talked into, you know, the airwaves, into nothing, into a, a board in front of me. In law, the part that I was really gravitating to was advocacy courtroom work. Loved it. It was only a year, but anything constitutional, courtroom litigation was all over that. What I would have done with my life until, you know, I got a call on the ministry, I would have just argued in court every day. That's communication. What was my favorite part of being a preacher? Vision casting communication. What do I do now? Preaching, podcasting, writing. um, It's all communication. So really what God wired me to be, you can see the breadcrumbs, you can see the threads. It's communicator. That's really, now I didn't know that in my twenties because I was a lawyer, I was a preacher, you know, but now you begin to see that. So I would say, look for the through line, look for the breadcrumbs, look for what is consistent. What do you keep you know, Andy Stanley put it another way in a podcast. I, he said, what seems effortless to you that seems uh, really difficult for others? So, for example, when I see a gifted musician, and I'm in awe. I mean, our team just crushed it on the weekend. And we have this keyboardist. And she just, she made it look like she wasn't even trying. You know, there's no music in front of her. She's playing this song. She's just crushing it. And I'm like, how do you do that? Now, I know there were years of, you know, practice and probably tears and that kind of thing. But she is so good at like 30 at playing the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm just a piece of wood. Like I'm, I'm a disaster. (laughs) So that's a clue to your gifting. Communication's always been easy for me when I was a kid, it was easy for me. And so that can be a clue. If you're looking for a clue at what your, your through line or your gifting is. Absolutely. So we're both in touch with a ton of pastors. Um, Most Pastors I'm talking to are troubled by two things, okay? First one is this. Carrie, uh, everything right now is either growing or it's plateaued or it's in decline, okay? And a lot of folks are deeply troubled the second something plateaus or goes into decline, which I think is smart if you care about what you're doing. Uh, what would you say to somebody right now who's going, man, it just feels like my church life, whatever it is, is starting to go into decline. What would you tell them about how to stop that, how to turn it around? Yeah, um, there's this thing called the sigmoid curve, right? Which you've probably seen. It looks like this, this, it's sort of this hill and this is what we want. We want to start here. I'll go up, 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 up and keep going. And what happens inevitably is that things plateau and decline. Wisely, if you start to smell it, my, my chief, if you look at strength finders, it's future, right? So I can usually smell death from 10 miles away. And if it starts to, if it starts to show like momentum is waning off, what you want to do is you want to do the disruption before you reach the peak, before yeah. you reach the plateau. Yeah. So if you're, if you're starting to sense that it's plateauing, really pay attention. And then say, okay, what about this do we need to keep? And what about this do we need to resist? So let's look at church attendance, right? We know that the multi-decade trend has been uh, declining church attendance overall in the population across all age demographics. And we also know the other trend, as you know, particularly being California-based, is uh, that people who attend church are attending church less often. So we know that those things are the case, right? So what can we do about that? COVID probably accelerated that talked about. So what can we do about that? Well, everybody you want to reach is online. So this is an opportunity for you to say, we're not going to stop in person. People are going to gather. As long as there are people, people are going to want to gather. But perhaps we have to rethink the long-term strategy. And so what you want to do 
is you want to pivot before you need to panic. And what happens is most people, they don't pivot. They're like, we'll just try harder. We'll just speak louder. We'll just put more money behind the, the advertising budget. And, you know, as David Ogilvy said years ago uh, on Madison Avenue, he said, great marketing makes a bad product fail faster. That's exactly <laughs> what it does. So if you're throwing money yep. at something that's dying, it just makes it fail faster, yep. right? And you wasted a whole bunch of money. So what you then have to do is say, where is the next generation? Why are these trends happening? And you know what I think a big part is for church leaders, Ray? We just hate the news. We, we, we don't like getting news that is bad. And we, we were trained to do it a particular way. And those who profited most from the old system are those who least want to see it die. So if you made, if you had the growing church and things were great, you know, a decade ago, you're like, I'm going to do everything I can to revive that. I'm going to do everything I can to bring it back rather than saying, what does this make possible? And so, yeah, we live in a culture and I'm Canadian. So people have been bailing on church for decades. And so it's like, yeah, we can do a really good in-person experience and we need to do something great online and we need to rethink our strategy. So it's, it's really trying to get on that problem. And, and, you know, you quoted Jim Collins earlier, but it's to embrace the Stockdale paradox, never lose hope, but confront the brutal facts. Yep. Hear right. the brutal facts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it feels like this could be an exciting day because mm. it feels to me like God is using this to push the reset button on the Christian church. And, yes. and it could be a brand new day. Um, what would you, so I've got two questions to wrap this up. Question number one is this, um, the, and this is a setup question that we didn't talk about. You have some training available for people who are going, I need to create a new day. I need to pivot. I need to create a church that is more effective in the future than it has been. Um, so this is a setup question. How do people find this? Yeah, uh, I do. I have this new training called the 30 day pivot because I found myself probably like you can, um, you know, Ray struggling so much in these, like having to change every 30 days, just every 30 days. And so we have this really simple framework I used pre COVID uh, on how to do that kind of pivot. So it's called the 30 day pivot. And the whole idea is to help you become an agile leader and become a, um, yeah, well, an agile leader and a leader who can pivot and get your whole team in on the game. The other thing it's addressed to do is a lot of us as leaders, and I did this for too many years, carry the responsibility alone. So you feel the whole weight, Ray, of trying to transition your church. Whereas what if you get your leadership team engaged? What if they were as passionate about it as you were? So that's a framework that'll help you do it. And uh, yeah, so that you can find that at the 30daypivot.com. Yep, that's good. And my last question is this, the number one time, the number one thing going on with anybody I talk to these days, it just feels like they're deeply discouraged. Okay, I mean, they have been locked away. They don't know what's going on. Um, I was on the phone with nine CEOs of corporations doing a training thing, and I started the call, and uh, they went around, literally almost all these folks are deeply discouraged. They are working harder than they've ever worked and making less money than they've ever made. And and you deal with millions of leaders. 
What would you say to everybody listening to this that it feels like they're trapped in a cycle where they just feel discouraged, but they need to break out of it? Mm. It's a deep issue. It is. And I, I hear the same thing you do. And I was in a really difficult season myself 15 years ago that I almost didn't break out of. So I think about this a lot. A uh, couple of things. You need to create a sustainable rhythm that's going to work. You know, if you're if you're factoring in, well, one day this crisis is going to weigh and everything will be go away and everything will be back to normal. It's like, oh, it's not going to happen. Uh, we're in a very unstable period, probably for the next three to five years. Then you got to think, okay, what do I need to do? A couple of ideas. Um, number one, take real breaks, real breaks where you just, I have to turn off the news sometimes and I don't even watch TV, but like That's my right. phone, it, it's yep. so discouraging. So you got to set hours where you're not going to do that. Uh, second practice, find a hobby. So the problem, the problem with a lot of us as leaders is what we do is all in our head. Often increasingly now it's in our homes. And so what is, what is time off? It's sitting there trying not to look at your phone. Well, that, that's a disaster. First of all, it's not restorative. It's not helpful. So you have to throw yourself into something that takes your mind off of this by occupying your mind. So after I burned out, I found three hobbies. I tried a bunch. These are the three that have stuck. So one of them is boating. So we have a boat and we live near a lake. So last night I went out with my wife and my son and his girlfriend. We just spent three hours on the water. You know, the first water ski of the season and the whole deal. I am not thinking about leadership. I'm not thinking, I'm thinking about being on the water, being with my family. And it takes my mind off of things because all I do is think otherwise. Uh, another thing I really enjoy is cycling. Now, cycling is sometimes podcast listening time. Yesterday, I was trying to solve a problem with a new book I'm working on, Ray. And it was all of a sudden I got this whole new angle while I was cycling. There's actually brain science behind that. But sometimes I just go out because I need a break and I want to get my body moving. So that's good. And the third thing is barbecue. I really, I have a big green egg. I love barbecue. Uh, when you can have friends over, it makes you really happy. And when you're doing a 30 hour brisket, like you got to slow down. Okay. So <laughs> most leaders I know, I mean, tell me if this isn't true. Most pastors I know don't have a hobby yep. and it could be fishing. It could be, you name it. It can be photography. I have friends who are into photography. It get woodworking, you know, you name it. I want to keep my fingers. So there's no woodworking <laughs> in my future, but, um, something that will actually, the, the principle is just distraction. And it has to take your mind off of this. Cause the problem we have, I could work anytime, anywhere. Like I got a laptop. I got my phone with me. I have an idea. I write it down. Oh, five people have texted me. Okay. Now what do I do? And you know, if you just put that away and do something else, and then of course, sleep, diet, exercise, uh, you want to build a life you don't want to escape from. Right. So how do you, what does it need to be true for you to build a life you no longer want to escape from? And if you can answer that question, question with some good disciplines and habits, then I think it will help you survive for the long haul. That is good. Yeah. One of the things we say all the time around here is look, study yourself, figure out what's draining and then figure out yeah. what's recharging and do that. And, and Carrie, I just want to say thank you. Um, the, oh. You are so easy to like, which is why I think millions of people flock to you. But the other thing is this, our staff listens to you. I mean, we have hundreds of staff, a ton of millennials. We have the most diverse staff I know, which right now in the U.S., it's a crazy season. And to have people saying the kind of wise things you're saying, I mean, people don't live well, lead well, or love well until they think well. And you are 
helping people think well. So I want to say thank you. We will put a link, folks, right now on our site where you can actually go and get information on Carrie's Pivot program. It's a 30-day program, and we'd highly recommend it. We have people that are doing this kind of thing. Um, and Carrie, we just want to say thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Ray, it's such a joy, and I'm looking forward to doing this in person as we had planned. But uh, yep. I, I just so respect, admire your leadership, and uh, really appreciate Appreciate what you're doing, and this looks like it's going to be the best thrive ever. So, thank you. Oh yeah, you know what's you know what's funny, Carrie. We, what? the main thing I learned out of this whole thrive thing when when it shut down. I'm an extrovert, okay, so I like people. Mm. Our thrive conferences sell out northern northern and southern California. Um, they, there were about a little over 6,000 people this year, and we pulled the plug on that, and I spent the next 24 hours depressed. I was going, I love the, I love the event, I love the content, the impact, and I love just the people contact of that thing. And God said to me, if you will let go of discouragement and replace it with dreaming, the world can be a better place. And, and Carrie, it was interesting because I'd always, I, remember, I wrote a book on hope. I mean, I'd, I'd always mm. went, okay, if you can just let go of discouragement as fast as you can, replace it with hope, and there's some systems you have to put in place, but you'll be better. And I thought, okay, that makes me better. It doesn't necessarily help anybody else. And I thought the faster a human being can move from discouragement and that grip to dreaming, the world becomes better, that their house becomes better, marriage. And so we just started dreaming about what could happen. You know, like, instead of 6,000 people on site, what happens if it goes global and it's free? As a whole different ballgame. And so... So, and but what? Ray, about that's so encouraging, and you know what? That is a metaphor for what we just talked about for the last uh, little while. That's exactly is if people because you are going to be discouraged when you go back, and there's fewer people than you hope for, and you yeah. are going to be discouraged because you can't do what you used to do in the same way. But if you would dream about what's possible, if you would ask mm -hmm. that question, like you say, right? You'll have the biggest thrive ever, yeah. right after your biggest disappointment ever, and. Maybe that's exactly what's happening to the church. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to reach the people that Jesus loves in a way that we never would have signed up for, never would have asked for. Uh, but if you're willing not to just, you know, quit in the midst of the struggle, I think there's a huge breakthrough ahead. So this has been a joy, Ray. Thank you so much. You bet, Carrie. Thank you too, man. God bless. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And for more about Ray Johnston or the Global Thrive Conferences, or if you have any questions or comments, go to thriveconference.org. And we'll see you next time for the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Podcast.